Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Awesome. All right, well, let's do this. We're jumping back into this series. We're in week three of a series called Uncommon. And what we've been doing is looking at the idea that good relationships are possible. They are possible, but they're not very probable. That means that you can have a good marriage. You can have a good relationship with your kids. You can have a good relationship with your coworkers, with with your neighbors. You, you, You can have good relationship with your extended family and your siblings. Like all of these relationships that it's possible to have good ones, but they're not very probable. And the reason they're not very probable is because you and I are caught up in going about our relationships the same way everybody else is doing it. And it's not really your fault. We kind of acclimate to the environment to surround us. We kind of, we, we take on what our parents have done. We take on what our friends have done. We take on what our classmates do, and we, and we see what they're all doing, and, and we just try it, and we do it their way, and, and, and the world's ways seem like the right ways. That's what we call them, the world's way or God's way. We, we look at how everybody else is doing it, and we just kind of become that. And, and the problem is, is, is the world's doing it all wrong, and in fact, the world's not getting great results. And, and you need to know that. You need to recognize that and decide there, there has to be a better way because if you keep on doing it the world's way, you're gonna keep on getting the same result that they're getting. And, and that's brokenness in your relationships. And so because there's a better way to do it, what is that better way? Well, it's God's way of doing it. And if you decide to do things God's way, you'll discover that there, there are better relationships to have. Our key verse for this whole series has been Romans 12, too. And what's funny is this is our key verse for this series, but it's also the one from the, one for the, from the series just before it. It's Romans 12, too. And we've just really been hammering this this year because this is so important. What it talks about, this is so key for each one of us in every area of our life. Specifically, though, in this series, through our relationships, it says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. In other words, the way that they're doing it, don't do it that way, Okay. Don't, don't copy it. Don't just mindlessly go about it. Don't just do that because this is what you've always done or this is what your parents have done. Like don't, don't copy the behaviors of the world, but let God transform you into a new person. See, many of you, I, I, I want to make sure we set this clear. See, Christianity is not coming to church and learning a whole list of things that you've got to do. That, that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is about a relationship with a loving father who loves you and wants you to know him like he knows you. That's what it's all about. And, 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 and he's not trying to hand you a whole list of rules. That, that, that's what religion does. Religion says do, but this relationship with God says done. There's nothing you need to do. He just wants to be in relationship with you. And so you don't, you don't need to learn to do some things. In fact, all the things in the Bible that God lays out for us to do there has to be, have to have something done within you first before you're even able to do them. There has to be a transformation that occurs within you. Otherwise, you'll just white knuckle it. You'll continue to mess up. You'll continue to, to, to try to do it on your own and frustrate yourself, frustrate your relationships. There needs to be something to happen inside you first. And so the word says, let God transform you into a new person. How? 
by changing the way that you think. We have to change the way that we think. Let God transform us. How do we get from common to uncommon relationships? We allow God to transform the way that we think. That, and that, that's, that's what we're doing here. We're, we're, we're learning a new way to think. Now, I know some of you are like, Aaron, I've tried to have better relationships. Have you tried letting God transform you first? Have you tried letting him do a work in you first before you tried to do those things? Because I promise you, if you'll do things God's way, if you'll start there, letting him transform you first, dealing with your thoughts, because if you change your thoughts, you'll change your future, ultimately because it changes your behaviors, right? So God's like, I want to transform you, but it begins with your thought process, and he, and, and he wants to help you with that. So we have to base our new way of thinking on God's way of doing things, and he'll give us power to do all those things. Does that make sense? He'll transform you, and he'll give you power to have great relationships and so much more. The verse continues on and says, then, so once you get on board for that, once you, once you become transformed, then you'll know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. So here's what I'm doing in this series. I'm offering you some uncommon thinking about relationships. The first week we talked about what an uncommon commitment looked like. Last week we talked about uncommon communication. And this week we're gonna focus on conflict because everybody in here, especially if you're in a family right now, you're going to face some conflict. Amen? Amen. If you're in a family right now, raise your hand. Every single one, that should be everybody. I'm just letting you know because all of you came from a family, right? You're going to face some conflict, especially if you're married. Man, if you're married, conflict is coming. You say, my God, pastor, be a little more positive about my marriage. I am. I'm positive. Conflict is coming. Remember the vows that you made on your wedding day for better or worse? Here's worse. It's conflict. It's coming your way. And you're like, no, there's no conflict. We love each other. We're not going to fight. That's not us. I heard it. <laughs> Sorry, sidebar joke going on down here. You see, I heard it. I, I, I know that, that we're, we're in love and, and, and we're never, ever going to fight. Listen, let me tell you, marriage is like a deck of cards. I, I heard that. Anybody ever heard that? Marriage is like a deck of cards. Starts off with two hearts, one diamond, and in the end, you wish you had a club and a spade. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> God. I don't care who you are. That's funny. <laughs> Conflict's going to happen. It's inevitable in every relationship. It's going to happen. But God has a different approach to conflict, and we need to learn it and let it transform us. And so here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to talk, talk through uh, what conflict is, some causes of it, and then I'm going to give you a biblical perspective on, on how God wants us to walk through conflict, how he wants us to deal with it, all right? So here we go. The first cause of conflict is poor communication. Poor communication, man. You know, most conflict starts over something small, and then it's the way that we go about talking about that, the way we go about having that conversation that just kind of makes that thing bigger. And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here in this because we talked about it a lot last week. Go back and listen to that message. I would encourage you. But, 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 the, but the way we talk about and the way that we have conflict is, is, is making things bigger. It's making things worse. Like, like, for example, we, we, we have a tendency to say things that, that aren't necessarily helpful to the conversation. Like for men, men, we, when we get into conflict, we start accessing our emotions, and the easiest one for us to access is anger. And out of anger, we say things that we don't mean. 
We say things that can be hurtful to, to one another and, and, and things that we'll immediately regret or at least later regret. That, that's the way we go about it. We, 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 we are too loose with our tongues. Like I heard one guy say to his wife, how is it you can be so beautiful and yet so stupid? And the wife looked at him and said, well, let me, let me break it down for you. God made me beautiful so that you would be attracted to me. And, 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 and he made me stupid so I'd be attracted to you. And... <laughs> Listen, guys, you don't want to play that game, all right? Don't, don't get involved. But seriously, though, we, we, we have to control our tongues in conflict. We, we, we have to do that. And here's a prayer that we, that we can pray on a regular basis. It's Psalm 141.3. It says, set a guard over my mouth, O Lord, and keep watch over the door of my lips, right? So it talks about your mouth being a door. That means that there's a hinge on it, and you have the ability, since it's a door, to open it and to close it like your like, you're in control of that. Now, I want you to notice something. We'll just file this away in just a second. But I want you to notice something. That one of the answers to the causes of conflict starts with God. One of the answers starts with God. One of your responses is to go to him first. This set of guard isn't a, hey, I'm in the middle of a fight and I need your help. This is like the beginning of the day kind of thing. Hey, set a guard over my mouth today. Right? It starts with God. Now, hold on to that. We'll come back to that in a minute. Second kind of, uh, kind of uh, conflict that we deal with, causes of conflict, excuse me, is unfulfilled expectations. Unfulfilled expectations. Now, I think all anger actually begins right here because you have an expectation for something, and the reality came way in lower, right? Like you expected something to be done, and reality was actually this, and because you didn't get what you want, you're angry, Proverbs says that hope deferred, or another thing, the words, the thing that you wanted, hope deferred makes the heart sick. The thing that you, that you were denied, the thing that you wanted most made you mad because you didn't get it. I talk about, about frustration being the, the gap of the amount of frustration or anger that you have is equivalent to the distance between the expectation and the reality, right? You expect it up here and they perform down here. You're super mad. If it's here, you're just a little mad, Right? But, but you, get, you get upset because you didn't get what you want. James says it just really plain. And I love the book of James because, man, he'll just talk to you just straight, right? He just lays it to you. you you'll, read, you'll read something from the book of James and go, dang, James, why are you talking to me that way? Here we go. All right. So here, what causes fights and quarrels among you? She's asking a great question. What causes it? Don't they come from desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. Man. Dang, James. <laughs> Starts from within you, right? It's, it's, I wanted something. You expected to get on the road today and that there would be good and courteous drivers out there, and they're not, so you're upset. You expected to go to Wally World and find a good parking spot up front, and you didn't, so you're mad. You expected the kids to not misbehave, which, by the way, that's a terrible expectation, <laughs> and your kids misbehaved, and now you're angry. You expected peace and quiet, but the kid next door is playing drums at 11 o'clock at night. Like, and so you're upset. Like, there's an expectation that goes unmet. We all have those. Here's the wrong response. James goes on and says, you kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. Now, here's what it continues to say about this. And I don't have time to read all the verses, but he goes on to say, you know, you ultimately don't have what you want because you didn't even bother asking God for it in the first place. The reason you're fighting is because you didn't go to him first. 
because you had an expectation placed on someone else. Truth is, is that person that you have an expectation placed on them, they don't have the ability to fulfill that all the time. You're placing your expectations in the wrong place, or even, I would say, the wrong person. You're, you, you have unmet expectations because you didn't go to God first. He's the only one that can f- fulfill and meet your expectations all the time. So we'll come back to that. Hang, hang tight on that. Number three, cause of conflict is despising differences. Despising differences. Now, when you're in relationships, you'll find that the differences you have are ultimately maybe, maybe the reasons you are attracted together. Like in friendships, especially in dating, man, like, you know, Paula Abdul, opposites attract, right? It's, it's great. But once you get married or you stay in that relationship, opposites attract and then opposites attack. Like, <laughs> the things that were different about you become divisive. The things that, that, that you used to love, all those little things, now that they're like, man, that just bothers the fire out of me. And, and opposites, the, the differences there begin to drive division between us. You say, well, he spends or she saves or, or he shares covers and she takes them and, or, or I want Chinese and she has no idea what she wants. Amen. And all the men said... You know, Shanda and I are like way different, very, very different. I, I prefer order, and, and she thrives in chaos and, and does so well in chaos. I, 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 she prefers big parties. I prefer smaller, intimate gatherings, right? She likes to go, 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 and I just want to go. Like, I mean, like, you know, she, she just, that's, that's different. But we're, but we're both different, and we have different strengths that ultimately complement each other, and that's what makes, makes us a good team. Think about every successful team you've been a part of. Not everybody is the same on that team. In fact, their differences are what make you a stronger team. Look at a, look at a, basketball, see, a basketball team. There's, there's five on there, right? They've got a guard, a point guard, a forward, a power forward, and a center. You proud of me that I knew that, babe? That's sports ball, sports ball talk. But there's five, and they're all different. One guy's super tall, the other guy's super strong, and, 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 and the other guy's just really, really fast and moves the ball around. I mean, like, they're all very, very different, but they complement each other so that they can accomplish something great together. So, so our differences, we shouldn't be despising our differences. We should be valuing our differences. And listen, let me, can I just say something? I'm, I'm not trying to be political here, but I'm going to tell you that if America doesn't start getting this right, that our country's in trouble because we've allowed our differences to divide us instead of unite us. And I realize, I realize there are two major political parties in the country, and we've got different voices, but we've allowed that to divide us instead of unite us. Because here's what I think. I think you've got a great idea, and you've got a great idea, and if we come together and listen to each other, we can come up with a better idea together, Amen. united and yet we allow that to divide us. Lincoln was brilliant about this. When he won, he put people from the other party in his cabinet so that he could have a full view of ideas. And I think it's time that we became the United States of America again, or we're in trouble. We're in trouble. And I'm going to tell you, our differences need to be valued. Don't, don't get caught up in that stuff. Don't get caught up in being divisive over your differences. Stay out of that mess. Because the Bible says if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. So we need to try to understand each other's differences. Value them. Listen. Understand them. Don't despise differences. Number four, cause of conflict. And this one is the one that you probably knew already. 
This one's not really a surprise to you. Actually, this is the one we could have just hung out with and, st- and stayed on this one, is that everybody has a sin nature. We all have a sin nature. We're all fallen, and we're sinful. In fact, let me just go ahead and help you. From here on out, you can go ahead and expect the people in your life to sin against you. You can just go ahead and do that because they're sinful. Yes, but I'm a Christian. I'm holy. Yeah, you're still going to sin. I still sin. I make mistakes. Believe that or not. (gasps) I'm so sorry if I just let like half of you down. I apologize. (laughs) We're all sinful. We're all going to hurt each other. But we, we act like nobody is. We, we forget that people are sinful, and instead of giving grace, we hold them to a different standard. See, we want grace from God. We want that, and we want God, God to understand us, and, but, but, but we won't give the same grace to other people. We won't look at people the same way God looks at us. Here's proper perspective from the Bible, Romans 3.23. Everyone sin, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. That, that's the, the level playing field for every single one of us. That's where we're all at. All of us are sinners, period. We can expect people to sin in our lives against us. And here's the thing. Because you can expect it, you can face that conflict differently. You can face it different. File that. We'll, we'll, hold, we'll hold on to that, and we'll come back to it in a minute. But I want you to notice that, that at each point, the answer to the causes of conflict is not about fixing them. It's about starting with God first and allowing him to do something in you. That's the most important part. Because you can't change the circumstances around you until you let God change what's going on within you. It's just, it's just not possible. And yet we, we go about different ways handling conflict. There, there's four different ways that we, that we usually do this. First way is my way. We go, well, we insist that my way or the highway, right? You got to do things my way. I need to get, I need 100% of the conflict to resolve in my favor. This, this drives a wedge between you and the other person openly. Second way is your way. This one drives a wedge between the two of you, but it does it secretly. I discovered some years ago that in conflict and in an argument, sometimes my wife will just go, you're right. I know she doesn't mean it. <laughs> but you know why she says it? So I'll shut up. Hey, I don't, I heard that amen. <laughs> she, she'll, she'll say, she'll let me win. And when I, when I sense that she's letting me win so that I'll shut up, I'll be not like this. I don't want it like this. This is not how I'm going to win. Mm-mm. It's not the right way. Halfway is the next one, halfway. I, I know a couple that did this where, where they, they let each other have their way half the time and, and, and the other way, person had their way the other time, and they, they, this was their compromise, and I think that's just a terrible way to go about it because instead of being mad 100% of the time, now you're only mad 50% of the time, but you're still mad. Right? That's not a conflict resolution. That's a, that's a you know, now, now you're fighting about how, whose turn it is and when you get that opportunity, right? Like it just doesn't make any sense to me. And the last way we, 
we go about solving conflict is, is God's way. Is God's way. Now, this is always going to be different from the world's way of doing things. In fact, you need to understand that when I come on a Sunday morning to share something with you, I'm always going to share with you God's way of doing things. That's what I'm committed to doing. To saying, hey, here's God's way, here's our way, and his way is better. And you need to know that and see the difference, not just in God's way and our way of doing things, but the difference that doing things God's way will make in your life. You say, well, Aaron, What's God's way about going about conflict? Well, it's that I go to him first. That, that I go to him first and I let him do a work in me. You know, there's oftentimes I, I, I get asked to sit down with people over, over conflict resolution. That's, that's what they want to do. And I, I'm just not sure conflict resolution is the best way to go. Conflict reconciliation is really what I want to push for is, for, is for people to re, be reconciled, like for the balance to be canceled between the two of them. And, and, and more often than not, when people sit me down, whether it's a marriage or a parental situation or my kid's gone crazy or whatever the conversation looks like, the relationship that's experiencing conflict, I ask them this question, what's God saying about this? What's God got to say about this, this conflict that you're experiencing? And, and here's what I'll push for is for them to lean into their relationship with God. Because if they'll lean into their relationship with God, maybe an intentional moment of prayer each day, maybe it's, hey, you need to, you need to spend some time fasting or, or, or whatever that may look like. They'll lean into their relationship with God. They'll have their answer. And it's amazing how the answer always begins within them. That God wants to do something in them first. Now, the thing that he does in you may impact the other person that you're in conflict with, and that's awesome, but that's not where it starts. It starts with you. In Ecclesiastes 3, there's a, there's a few verses that are written there that, that you probably recognize. It was, they were uh, words taken from the Bible by the band called The Birds, and they turned it into a song that said, there's a time for everything and a, and a season uh, for every activity under the, under the heavens to everything, turn, 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 right? They, they didn't write that. They just took it from the Bible. And there's a verse here that as you continue through, through Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 5, it says, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. And as we approach conflict, I want to approach conflict in a way that we gather our stones. So you can scatter your stones if you want to. You could, you could take throw, or stones and, and lob them at people. You can keep the fight going if you want to. Thing is, with a stone, when you throw it at somebody, they just get to throw it back, and the fight just continues. But if you want to deal with the conflict in the right way, we need to be stone gatherers. Because when you gather a stone, you ultimately are going to gather them together and, and build a pile, which, which for, for, the, for the, the people of this time, the, the Jewish people, this would have been to build an altar, which is to go before God. We always have a choice in how we respond to conflict. Scatter stones or gather them into an altar and let God change your life. Now, if you go back to the beginning of the book of, of your Bible in, in, the, in Genesis, there's a great story in there that starts in Genesis 28, and 20, somewhere 28 and 29. It's the story of Jacob. Jacob is the son of Isaac. Isaac's the son of Abraham. Abraham's the guy that the whole Jewish people come from, all right, just so you know some history. And there's a great story in there, which, and, it's, and it's full of drama, which, by the way, if you're not reading your Bible, you should read your Bible. Join us in 
and read through it. It's, it's great. There's some incredible stories in there. But this story is of Jacob, and Jacob has currently run from his brother because he lied to his dad and stole his, stole his inheritance, and so he's now off in a foreign land with his uncle, and, and he meets, his, uh, he meets his, this girl named Rachel. It's his uncle's daughter, and he falls in love with Rachel, and he says, well, well, I'll work for seven years if you'll give me Rachel as a wife. And so his uncle agrees to that, and then on the, the wedding night, they have a big festival, and then... In the morning, after they've consummated the marriage, uh, Jacob wakes up, and it's actually Rachel's older sister, Leah, and not Rachel. Now, how that happens, I don't know. <laughs> Either it was customary for somebody to wear a veil until the next morning, or somebody got a little too tipsy, is all I'm saying. Must have been a good party. To not know, because the Bible says that Rachel was beautiful, but that Leah had weak eyes. In other words, she was not a good-looking girl. <laughs> so somebody was wearing goggles or she was wearing a veil. I'm not sure. And he wakes up the next morning, and he sees, sees that it's Leah, and he goes to his uncle and says, what's the deal? And he says, well, it's customary. The first daughter has to get married first. He says, I'll give you Rachel, but... You also have to work for me another seven years. So he gives him Rachel, marries her right away, and he has to work another seven years. And so this is what happened with this uncle. He was a huckster. He was, he was a cheat. And for 20 years, Jacob winds up working for his uncle who continues to change his wages over and over and over again. And Jacob just gets tired of it. And so he decides to, in the middle of the night, with his family and all his flocks and everything, just to run. There's conflict. And when, when his uncle wakes up in the morning, he discovers he's gone, and he begins hot pursuit of him. And so here's where we catch up to him. It's Genesis 31. The uncle catches up to him, and, he's, and, and there's getting ready to be a brawl that happens. And instead, this is what happens. He's, it says, he said to his relatives, this is Jacob, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap. They built an altar right there, involved God in the moment. And they ate there by the heap. So if you want to reduce today's message down to one sentence, here's what it would be. Before you can resolve conflict with someone, God needs to do a work in you. And if you think about this, this is really, really beautiful. Because I think too many of you here today are held captive to the resolution of the conflict. In other words, I'll never do this, I'll never resolve it until they do blank. The conflict will never go away until they do blank. Like you, you've given the power to them over your peace. That the conflict will never be resolved. In other words, you'll never have peace until they. But that's not, that's not what needs to happen. In fact, if you'll go to God first, if you'll build an altar, God will do a work in you. You'll have peace whether or not they ever do anything or not. Because you'll have peace on the inside, because the truth is conflict cannot continue without my participation. Ooh, I just heard a bunch of, ooh. It, it can't keep going. If you decide to not be in it anymore, it's, it's all done. Conflict has to have two people, and if you don't play, there's no conflict. So if you let God do a work in you, if you let him change you, conflict's done. Now, I know some of you push back on that. You say, well, I've tried to exit conflict before. Did you let God transform you before you did it? Did you build an altar and ask him to help you? Did you involve him before you tried to do that? 
can I tell you something that's not really popular? It's not really popular, and if you talk to other pastors, this is not really a church growth strategy to say things like this. But here's the thing. Christianity is not God waiting like a genie in a lamp on you to rub it, and he appears going, poof, what do you want? This is not what it's about. Jesus said, anybody who's going to follow me is going to take up a cross and die. There's some violence to our relationship, and I'm not talking about a physical one. We're talking about your desires, what you want, your rights, your privileges. They, they, they have to be crucified with Christ. They have to die with him. You want something, and, and you didn't get it, and you're in conflict. Well, if you let that want and that desire to die on the cross with Christ, well, then, then conflict changes. The way you approach things changes. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I die daily. He kills his fleshly desires so that Christ can live on the inside of him. He built the altar instead of throwing stones and let Christ live through his life. That's what Christianity is. Because he knew if he did that, that no matter what, he'd have peace. You may still have external conflict, but there'll be no internal conflict. And what happens when you build an altar is God comes on the inside of you and gives you power to face that conflict differently. It changes your heart. Finishing conflict never starts with them. It starts within you. It starts within you. So let God do a work in you. Build an altar. Take that rock, and instead of throwing it, let's, let's pile them up and make that altar. I think we keep praying, God, change them, and I think God's waiting on us to pray, God, change me. God, change me. So, so what do we do? Here are four uncommon responses that guarantee a different outcome to conflict. The first one is and this is the choice. When you build your altar, you make a decision. This is what I'm going to do. I will act, not react. Make a decision that in the face of conflict, you're not going to react. That's an explosive kind of thing. It's a chemical reaction. You get two chemicals together, and they explode, much like when you were a kid and you had to build a volcano in, in science class, right? Several chemicals inside, reaction. Well, well you're going to choose to not react and explode. You're going to choose to act it is, it's like a pre-fight plan, basically. And you can do this in every single one of your relationships, but, but in your marriage especially, I'm going to tell you, you need to have a plan. My wife and I have a plan about how we're going to go about a fight. Every fight has rules, and you should have some too. One of the rules that we have that is centered in this verse in Ephesians 4, it says, in your anger, do not sin. So in other words, being angry is okay, just don't sin as a result of it. He says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. In other words, deal with your anger, because if you don't, you're going to give the devil a foothold. He didn't necessarily say it needed to be resolved that night before you went to bed, but he's saying you need to deal with your anger. That's you going to an altar and laying it there on the altar and saying, all right, I need to deal with this emotion. But my wife and I take that literally, and, and we'll stay up all night long resolving the conflict because we're committed to each other. We believe that, that it's important to go ahead and get it done. Let's go ahead and resolve it. And besides that, when you resolve the conflict, there was one time we fought... <clears throat> we stayed up all night long. And after we resolved it, we made up. I like the making up part so much that I picked another fight the next day. <laughs> Here, <laughs> here's some other rules for you, all right? So let's just keep moving, all right? <laughs> here's, here's some other rules, some other, some other fighting rules. These, these are just free for you, okay? I just want you to have them. And you don't have to write them down, but you should, okay? You know, so here we go. No, another thing you do, never, never put it off. Never, never put the conflict off. 
There's no reason not to just go ahead and have the conversation. Make time. Turn off the TV. Set aside the time. Go ahead and have the conflict, the conversation, and, and, and deal with it. All right. If you're gonna if you're gonna fight, this is how we're gonna do it. We're gonna do this well. We're we're gonna go ahead and do it because we love each other. We're gonna be in a relationship with each other. We we we, we promised forever. Let's just go ahead and deal with this now. Don't don't put it off. Never call names. Like this is a really really big one. Some of you guys, you, you you're just in the habit of of. Talking, calling each other names, calling each other stupid and things like that. Some of you guys swear at each other and call each other different names. And, and I'm just going to tell you, all that does is escalate things. It, it just escalates them, and, and it doesn't show a level of respect. And so it, it, it's, it's something that, that, that I've I, I got a hot spot for that. Like, eh, we don't want to do that. And my, my wife and I, when we got married, before we got married, she said, don't you ever call me the B word. I was like, I'm, I wasn't planning on it, but thank, that's good to know. Like a, <laughs> Another one is never raise your voice. Never raise your voice. The second you stop yelling, that's when they stop listening. They're going to check out. Don't raise your voice in a fight. Make these decisions ahead of time. You're not going to do that. And if things start to escalate, just bring it down. Hey, let's not talk to each other that way. All right? Never get historical. Just constantly bringing up the history, bringing up the past. Saying, you know, if you're going to talk about something, talk about that instance of it. You don't need to talk about the last hundred instances of it. Deal, deal with what just happened. Uh, ladies, thank you. <laughs> you don't need to be history majors to get your point across. Just help us. It, honestly, every time, if you, if you keep on bringing up all the old stuff, it feels overwhelming. Like we can't deal with just the one thing. So let's just help us deal with the one thing, all right? Help us. It, it's, it'll be profitable to you, guys and gals, if, if this is you. <clears throat> never say never or always. These are called universal statements. When you're fighting, don't say never or always. When you never do this, you always do that. Well, nobody ever, no, nobody never does something or always does something. That's just not true. So let's talk in, in plain terms. Let's, let's, let's just deal with, with the instance that it did happen. Never use text message. My goodness, I could do an entire message on this one. Here's why. Tonality is 70, more than 70% of communication that's received. In other words, the way I'm saying something right now. That's why, guys, you can say something to your wives, and what you said is not what upset her. It's how you said it. It's how you said it. It's not what you said. It's how you said it. It's your tone. Tonality is the majority of what's communicated. When you use text message, though we have emoticons and, and memes and GIFs and all these things to help us express the emotions that those words are that are attached to those words the problem is the problem is they will read that text the way they currently are not the way that you intended it your emoticons are not accomplishing what you think they are there's a great skit by some comedians and, and unfortunately it's full of profanity and adult content otherwise i'd show it to you but but the, he's reading a text back from his friend, and he's really high strung for whatever reason, and the other guy is super chill, and he, his response is, whatever, man. And the guy reads it back, whatever, man, whatever, oh, for real? And then the conflict just continues to get bigger. It's because we read text the way we are, not the way they wrote it. Don't fight in text. Never threaten divorce. And this is if you're in a marriage relationship. Divorce is not the option. Uh, that's not where you want to go. You want to take that out of your vocabulary. If you don't, you create an insecurity within your partner. 
An insecurity that says we can't fight because if we do, you're going to threaten this and I don't want you to leave me. You need to be able to handle conflict knowing that you're in it to win it, that you're in it until death do you part for real. And if you continue to throw out the word divorce, you, you, you won't have healthy conflict. Even in your relationships, the rest of them, it, it's the equivalent of I'm going to take my ball and go home. You, you can't have a healthy relationship if you're constantly going to behave that in that way, all right? My wife, when we, when we first got married, she, she, we were talking about this, like, hey, we're not going to use the word divorce. We're not ever going to threaten it, even if we're angry. That's just never going to come out of our mouths. And, and we, we never have. It's almost been 14 years now. I don't think we've ever threatened each other with divorce. That's not something we've done. She said, I'm not going to divorce you. She said, I will cut you, though. And uh, so <laughs> I'm not so sure that's biblical, but uh, anyway. So choose not to react. Here's, here's another response. You say, I'm going to focus on the good things in you. I'm going to focus on the good things in you. See, there has to be somebody, something within that person that you're in conflict with. There's got to be something that is good within them. And if you can take a moment to focus on that, if you can think about that, I think it'll change the way that you approach conflict. In other words, you, you see value in them. You see value in being in the relationship with them. There are things that you like. There are things that you love. There's reasons that you're in the relationship in the first place. And if you'll think about those things, It'll soften that, that approach as you, as you come into conflict. I sat with a young man who was talking to me about his marriage. He's ready to tap out. He's like, I'm, I'm all done, and I don't, I don't know what to do. And, 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 I, and he's got all these options laid in front of him. And, and I just said, you know, is, do, do you love her? And he said, I do. Do you remember why you love her? Do you remember why you made those vows on your wedding day? Do you remember why you said I do? If you can take a moment to remember why, you can begin to navigate conflict differently. Focus on the good things. Philippians 4.8 says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble. And by the way, as we look at these, look how many whatevers there are. There's a whole bunch of them. What is, so, so it's just whatever. It's not even a specific thing. Hey, whatever's true, find something. Whatever is noble, find something. Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, find something. Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul goes on to say, whatever you've learned or received from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And here's what happens if you do. If you focus on those things, the God of peace will be with you. See, see, if you'll take time to focus on those things, God gives you his peace, gives you your peace as you face that. So start your day with God. Build an altar. Don't throw stones. Make it a choice to act and not react and focus on the good. And the third one is, I will apply God's grace to you. Oftentimes, our prayer is simply, God, forgive me, but you can go ahead and, and, and punish them. We want to receive God's grace, but we pray, God, go ahead and get them. Just get them. Let them fall flat on their face. Let them fail. Let them get sick. We, we pray bad things for people. Like, God, go ahead and show them. It's amazing how much we want grace, but we yet we refuse to give it. In Matthew 18, there's a, there's a story, a parable that Jesus tells, and he's talking about a man who was forgiven much by his master, millions of dollars. And the man who was forgiven much, he goes out and finds some guy that owes him $1,000. And he decides that because the guy can't pay him, to go ahead and throw him in jail. Instead of giving him forgiveness like he received, he decides to punish the man. 
When the master finds out what his servant has done, he takes him and throws him into jail. The Bible says in the outer darkness. And what, what I'm trying to tell you in the story Jesus was trying to convey is that God's not a fan of us receiving grace and not giving it. In fact, the, when, when Jesus' followers said, hey, teach us to pray, Jesus said, Father, forgive us. And he didn't end there. There's not a period there. The sentence doesn't end. He says, forgive us as we forgive others. So in other words, the same way we're willing to forgive other people, forgive us that way. Now for me, before God, I want my whole slate wiped clean. I want that full forgiveness. And that means I need to give somebody full forgiveness as well. Forgiven, you've been forgiven much, so you forgive much. Romans 12, 19 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge. I'll repay, says the Lord. In other words, the vengeance is on God's. Is on, is on, is on, it's, that's on his list of things to do. God will take care of it. He's not saying that what they did to you was right. He's not saying that what they did to you was okay. He said, I'll take care of that. You leave vengeance up to me. But for us, he says, on the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Now, for years, I thought that was awesome. I'm like, so I'm going to be nice to somebody so that I can burn them. Burn. Sick burn, bro. Like, I just wanted to, anybody want to burn your enemies? Like, that's how I read that verse. But then I learned that that's not what that meant at all. That verse means that you're, 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 you're essentially giving them burning coals, which was a commodity of that day. Everybody needed them so that they could stay warm, so that they could cook. He said, he said just be a blessing to them. When you do this, you're giving them what they need for life. You're giving them life. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Listen, I know this is deep. I know this doesn't sound like fun to build an altar instead of throwing stones. I know that that's not the way we normally go about doing things, to decide to act and not to react, to focus on the good and to give people God's grace. Like, I know that that's not where, where we were really at. And some of you are thinking, Aaron, I don't think I can do it. And you know what? I agree. I don't think you can. Not on your own. At least not until you do the fourth thing on this list. Because the fourth thing on this list, every time you do it, God's power comes inside of you and gives you the ability to become somebody that you weren't on your own. Somebody different. Somebody brand new. Somebody that's more like Christ. Remember, God's offering you transformation. He's not offering to resolve the conflict. He's offering to resolve the conflict within you, to change you. So here's the fourth thing. I'll remember God's grace to me. That you'll take a moment and remember God's grace to you. And every time you do this, when you remember God's grace to you, you gain the capacity to give it to someone else. And that's God's way of facing conflict. Let's pray. Father, today I just pray that you would help us to drop our stones. There's conflict in every, with every single person in this room has conflict that they're facing. I know that because we're all people. We could be the cause of the conflict, or we could just be a party of, to it. But I pray that you would help us, God, to, to drop our stones. And instead of throwing them, to pile them into an altar, an altar where we bow before you and, and we lay ourselves on that altar and say, here's what we want. Here's what we want to have happen. Would you, 
we, we offer our wants and our desires up to you as an offering. We, we, we kill ourselves, kill our flesh, kill our desires, and crucify them with cross at the cross. Lord, as we do that, I pray that you would work in us, not them, work in us first. Do a, a deep work within us and transform us. Teach us to be more like Christ. Let, us, let him live in us more and more every single day. And God, as we do this, as we, we make these choices, as we build our altar and make a choice for how we're gonna face our relationships, help us to live that out. Help us to live it out. And as we continue to pray in this moment, I, I just wanna share that for those of you, some of you are here and you, and you don't have a relationship with God at all. Maybe you did at one point in time and you've walked far away from it. Maybe you never have. And you need to understand that, that God came to resolve our conflict. The way he did that was through his son, Jesus. See, you and I were born in sin, and our sin causes a division between us and God. It's us going about our way of doing things instead of doing things his way. It, it divides us. The conflict that exists there, God, God didn't resolve it. He reconciled it. He brought our balances to zero through what Jesus did for us in his life, his death, and his resurrection from the dead. And that sounds like a whole bunch of stuff. It was. But it's not a whole bunch of stuff that you need to do. The only thing you need to do in order to have that conflict resolved in your life is receive that today. And the way you do that, guess what? The same way that we're all learning to face conflict is the same way that you're going to start facing the conflict in your own life is to go to God first. And so we're going to do that here in a moment. I'm going to lead us all, every single one of us, in a prayer. And there are some of you here today that you need to pray that prayer to have this conflict within you resolved. This is not about being perfect. This is not about having perfect attendance at a church or knowing how to do it all right. This is about you and God. This is about the relationship he wants to have with you. How he wants to transform you. So I'm gonna pray that prayer, pray a prayer, and I'll give you the words to pray, but if you're here in this room today and you say, Aaron, this is my moment, I'm not gonna ask you to stand up or come to the front, but where you're at, would you just slip your hand up? Would you slip that hand up right now and say, Aaron, that's me. Do that now. Be bold. Yeah, it's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? And say, that's me today. Thank you. Put your hands down. I'm going to make this journey. I'm going to make this choice today to allow God to resolve the conflict within me. Church, those of you that are making that commitment today, let's pray together. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. Forgive me of my sins. Speak peace to the conflict within Transform me. Make me more like you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on, church. Can we celebrate with those that have said yes to Jesus today? <laughs>